0: Thanks to Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. I'm Brews News Editor, Matt Kirkegaard. This week we catch up with Brooklyn Brewery co-founder Steve Hindy. We last caught up with Steve in June 2015, after he gave the keynote presentation at the then Craft Beer Industry Association's Craft Brewers Conference. I caught up with Steve again during Good Beer Week in Melbourne, and hasn't a lot changed since we first spoke with him. In our earlier chat, Steve talked about such things as the US's ability to cope with what was then projected to be brewery growth that would see 5,000 breweries operating in the United States. Of course, they now have in excess of 7,000, with more than 1,000 in planning. He also talked about the challenges Australian craft breweries would have in the face of tap contracts here. Since then, Brooklyn has taken on a 24.5% investment from Kirin, and is today distributed in Australia by Lion. We talk about the complexities of the international beer market that see a U.S. Brewers Association board member and champion of the independence logo have his beer distributed and brewed under license in another market by a company that doesn't carry the same logo here. We discuss that and much, much more about Brooklyn Brewery, its beers and the future. Steve is a legend of craft brewing with valuable insights into the industry and he's also top company. It's a great chat and I hope you enjoy it. Steve Hindi, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thank you, Matt. Welcome to Australia. Welcome back to Australia. and Welcome yeah. back to Good Beer Week. Yeah. It's interesting. The last time we spoke uh, was four years ago. It was almost exactly four years ago when you were here for Good Beer Week and also the uh, Craft Beer uh, Industry Association Conference. Right. And hasn't the market changed four years? It's, it's kind of measured in dog years.
1: Yeah. What... Um I mean, there are about 640 breweries today. Something uh, about uh, yeah. about
0: that. But even in the U.S., uh, when we were talking then, in fact, I've, I've got a quote. Uh, we were looking at, you would said that America was facing explosive growth. Um, and even then, we were talking about we can absorb 5,000 breweries or more. And uh, <laughs> that was 2,000 breweries ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we're at like uh, 7,300. Uh, it's probably... 400, 7,400 by now. So uh, you've
0: obviously absorbed the 5,000. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, I think we're on our way to 10,000 uh, in the U.S. Because there's still uh,
0: two or 3,000 in 2, planning.
1: 2,500 2,500. Yeah, yeah. You know, I often think the high point historically in the United States was back 1870. There were 4,000 breweries in America The population was like between 40 and 50 million people. So now there are 325 million people. I think we can easily absorb, uh, handle uh, the beer produced by 10,000 breweries.
0: How much do consumers need to change their mindset, though? Because obviously, uh, when you're looking at 1830, 1840, and that high watermark, yeah. um, transport wasn't as efficient, refrigeration, right. um, consumers didn't have the same approach to wanting things now that, that, that they do now. Do you think that, that you know, we, we need to factor in the, the change in consumer temperament?
1: I think consumer interest in beer is changing. I mean, you know, the title to my second book was The Craft Beer Revolution, and some people questioned using the word revolution. But if you think about what's happened in the 31 years since I started uh, Brooklyn Brewery, uh, in 1988, imported beer in the U.S. was like 2% of the American market. And our objective in the beginning was to compete for that 2%. We were going to make import-quality beer and compete with the imports. Well, 31 years later, imports are 17% of the U.S. market. Craft beer, adding in all the craft brewers, is probably about the same, about Mm -hmm. 16 17%. So together, imports and craft are more than 30% of the U.S. market by volume. By dollars, it's more than 50%. So consumers clearly have changed their mind uh, about beer. And most of the new breweries that are starting up, I would say probably maybe as much as like 5,000 of them, probably more than that, uh, make most of their money by selling at their location. Uh, so they're what we're calling tasting room breweries. Uh, and that seems to be the kind of shape uh, that uh, the new beer industry is taking in the United States. There are still regional breweries and international breweries like Brooklyn Brewery, and, uh, but it, it's a pretty small segment of the 7,000 400 breweries.
0: I, I read a fascinating uh, university study or college study that came out in March looking at property values have actually gone up in neighborhoods that have a local tap room or a local oh, brewery. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. The, uh, you know, local breweries, tasting room breweries are, are very much sought after now by many municipalities, government bodies uh, in the U.S. I mean, they're they're basically creating incentives for people to start craft breweries in downtown areas of cities, small cities and towns, even rural areas around the U.S., because it's been proven to be a very positive force in a, in a community.
0: And that's a great way to embed yourself in the local community and uh, become part of the community. Exactly. Exactly. But at the big end of the market, we see seem to have seen almost a glass ceiling that a lot of the uh, larger craft breweries have hit. Um, and most recently, we saw uh, Dogfish Head and uh, um, Boston um, merge uh, yeah. to, to try and find growth for, for both of those companies. Um, it, are we seeing a tale of two cities? And uh, we've got very big and very small.
1: Yes, that's what's happening, and that's the way it was back in the 1870s. I mean, most of those 4,000 breweries in America uh, back in the 19th century were local, but a few of them became regional, uh, and uh, that was sort of the shape of the, of the industry, and I think it's kind of a back-to-the-future dynamic that's happening now. So you've got, you know, breweries like... Uh, Sierra Nevada, Sam Adams, Brooklyn Brewery uh, that are, you know, players on the national stage in America and also internationally. Uh, And then you've got all these local breweries which are uh, set up in a very different uh, kind of uh, model. Uh, The thing that uh, the bigger breweries like Brooklyn face in America is we're competing with two or three giant companies. Uh, So ABI, Miller Coors, uh, Constellation, which has Corona, those companies have tremendous resources and they want to play in the craft game because the craft game has become the game. I mean, all the growth that's happening in beer uh, in America now is happening in the craft segment. So in order to compete with those giant companies, you need to uh, uh, have a critical mass, and that means partnering with other breweries, and that's, I think, behind uh, Sam Adams buying uh, Dogfish. You know, we uh, bought uh, minority shares in two breweries, uh, 21st Amendment in San Francisco and uh, uh, Funkworks in Colorado, and we now sell those brands uh, together. So we sell Brooklyn, 21 A.M. Funkworks together. That makes us much more important to the distributors uh, in America, and it enables us to control our cost of sales. Uh, So the cost of the sales force is uh, much easier to absorb. If you're selling uh, multiple brands, so
0: is, is that the slippery slope, or you, you've said we're going back to the future, and we've gone back to a large number of breweries? But is the natural evolution of that that we are going to see greater consolidation to uh, to give those economies of scale to combat you know, all of the other market forces?
1: At the volume end of the business, yes, I think that's that's got to happen, because uh, you know. Paying a sales force to uh, sell beer in America is quite expensive. I mean, like Australia, it's a it's a big country, and you need a lot of people uh, to to sell the beer. So I think it's natural that that would begin to happen uh, at the uh, you know the high end of the the craft
0: segment. When we last spoke, uh, you actually, and it, it was in May 2015. You highlighted contracts as being one of the uh, issues for Australian breweries. And uh, I think you'd actually just come from the UK where you'd been on stage with Jasper Cuppage. And also, uh, it was also... um, Trying to think of who it was. Logan Plant. Logan Plant. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you're on stage with both of both of them, and yeah. obviously they've both been taken over <laughs> uh, since yeah. then. Um, uh, you, you've, uh, I think, eight months later. Brooklyn had a 24.5 percent investment from Kirin, right? And now you're in Australia. Um, I, I guess benefiting from those same tap contracts that you were were concerned about for Australian brewers four years ago. Yeah. It's a very complex world that we live in with beer, isn't it?
1: Yes, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, things are happening uh, at all stages uh, of the business these days. So uh, for us, the partnership with Kirin was important for opening up Japan. I mean, we've been selling in Japan almost from the beginning of Brooklyn Brewery. But we never really got that far because, you know, uh, the state of, of beer in Japan is very similar to the state of beer in the U.S. 30 years ago. Imports are about less than 1% of the market in Japan. But we think the Kirin Brewery is committed to, uh, to changing that and recognizing that uh, craft beer is uh, going to be a big part of the future in Japan. So we like that partnership, and to be honest, the Kieran influence here in uh, in Australia through Lion uh, was a benefit that uh, came along with that.
0: And, and no one can take away what Lion has done. Lion has been very visionary in the way that they've approached craft beer over here, and they seem to really get um, the market. They were a little bit slow to the party, but once once they did, um, through Little Creatures and some of their other brands, they've done it very very well. But it's almost the uh, the success of their craft beer brands has solidified their position in the in the duopoly in terms of those same tap contracts. Yeah. Venues aren't sliding away from tap contracts away. I think we forecast four or five years ago because they now still go to the same one house. Um, and that, that seems to be part of the natural business evolution.
1: Yeah. Lion has one of the most successful uh, groupings of craft brands of, I think, any of the, the big international uh, brewers. You know, Little, Little Creatures is a serious player here in, uh, in Australia and in Asia in general. So, uh, yeah, I think they they've recognized uh, that this is happening, and they've they've really got a leg up on the other big Japanese breweries, which are not really focused on this. And I think they're going to be surprised uh, to see that uh, the market is going to change in Japan the same way it changed in the U.S. and the same way it's it's changed here in Australia.
0: It, is there a challenge? Uh, on on any level for Brooklyn to be um, to, to maintain the definition of independence in in the U S where you were born and you you've been on the board of the board uh, the Brewers Association yeah. for a long time and spent a lot of time discussing what that definition should be yeah and then coming into another market within uh, you know a, a business that has very much a, a stranglehold over one section of that market. Mm. W- which is a sort of stranglehold that gave rise to the Brewers Association in the first place.
1: We believe in independence, and, uh, you know, that's the reason when Kieran made the investment, it was limited to 24, you know, less than 25%. Um, however, you know, it, it's, who knows what the future is going to bring. I mean, we have to do what's right for Brooklyn Brewery uh, going forward, and uh, I think... All the craft breweries have to make those decisions, and uh, uh, we'll see what the future brings. But uh, we are committed to the craft definition uh, in the U.S., and I'm still on the board of the Brewers Association. And we proudly display the uh, craft brewer's seal on all, all our packaging, and I think that's an important uh way to differentiate ourselves from the giants that we're dealing with in, in the U.S., ABI and Miller Coors.
0: And, 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 and that's, again, it's one of those really difficult um, conversation to have with somebody, uh, you know, because when that bottle then sells in the um, our Australian Craft Beer Association has its own independence logo, right. and uh, Brooklyn wouldn't be able to wear that um, locally here. Um, well, I, I, Again, I guess if you look at distribution it wouldn't and the, the, to, to consumers does it create a or should it create a confusion about what independence means when they see that logo um transported somewhere else?
1: So I didn't do do the Australian brewers have a seal?
0: They they have got an independent seal oh, they that do, the yeah. uh, um craft beer the independent brewers association has, yes. Yeah. So
1: well, I know uh, you know the Brewers Association in the U.S. is very transparent about the criteria mm-hmm. for independent craft, and so I would hope that uh, consumers would make themselves uh, would would learn about what it means, what that seal means, and what the seal means here. Yeah, uh, it, I think it's kind of inevitable that you would have a, a clash of. Uh, of uh, different opinions on that from country to country.
0: Um, now moving on, looking at uh, the, the, the future of craft beer, uh, we're, we're sitting here drinking the the, the lovely Brooklyn uh, Defender IPA. Yeah. Um, I, I notice that it's not a hazy IPA. Do, well, <laughs> there's in, in the last four years, there's been not just a change in business, but there's been a huge change in styles in, yeah. in the brewing industry. Would you ever have foreseen how rapidly uh, things would change stylistically as well? The, the whole rise of hazy and brute and... Uh, um, sours. and Sours. And, yeah.
1: Well, I think... It's it, it shouldn't be surprising that uh, innovation would become a focus of the future for, for craft brewers. Uh, because, I mean, let's face it, when we started selling beer 30 years ago uh, with Brooklyn Lager, which was an amber lager beer that uh, was kind of a shock to the system for many people used to drinking Light lager beer. I mean, you know, when I started selling Brooklyn Lager in New York City, many people turned up their noses at it and said, "You know, what are you doing here? It's dark. It's bitter. Why don't you make a beer like Heineken?" Or uh, and uh, you know, they and didn't it's understand. It's to forget
0: how rapidly that mindset yeah. has changed.
1: Yeah, well, it's changed tremendously, and I guess not surprisingly, the same people who were adventurous enough to try Brooklyn Lager and Brooklyn Brown Ale and Brooklyn East IPA, are now saying, what's next? What do you got for me? I, I like this flavor thing. And so, uh, you know, we're expanding our, our offerings uh, with the sour beer. And the, uh, this is more of a West Coast IPA mm-hmm. compared to our Brooklyn East IPA, which is more balanced IPA. And uh, I think you're going to see a, a lot of innovation happening. You know, our barrel program, the barrel aging program we're doing, is, is very popular. Um, and we're looking for ways to expand that into the future. Because interestingly, in the States now, the 750 bottles, 750 milliliter bottles, the champagne bottles with yep. the cork in the cage, many retailers are starting to phase those out. So we're looking at producing those bottle-conditioned beers in, a, in a, like a 375 uh, bottle. And, and uh, what's
0: driving that? Is it the, the whole idea of shelf space? Is that if you've got one bottle, it rules out a whole shelf?
1: I think the retailers in America have reached uh, a kind of breaking point with, we're not going to give you our whole store. Uh, yep. I mean, they're cutting back on the shelf space, as you know, uh, craft beer uh, kind of monopolizes shelf space uh, in the U.S. now, and the retailers are, are kind of drawing the line now, and where they've drawn it is uh, in saying no to these big bottles. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to figure out a way to, to maintain those uh, uh, products uh, in a smaller format.
0: And, and I guess that's one of, when you look at business, and uh, the, the, the quote that you had last time, um, business requires imagination and ingenuity, um, an incredible that? force. Yeah, but incredible foresight <laughs> as well. Who would have thought um, five, six, seven years ago that the rise of cans would completely change the way that retailers s- stock and merchandise beer?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cans, uh, obviously, the, the you know in the in the for for the mega brewers, cans are the main package of all, all their uh, sales. And for many years, we. Um, you know, we resisted uh, getting into cans uh, because we felt that bottles were more elegant and a, a sort of a, a better package for craft beer. Um, that's changed very quickly. Uh, I mean, in many markets now, cans are the preferred uh, package. So we, we actually just developed a beautiful uh, version of this Defender IPA can uh, which is out now, and our Brooklyn Bel Air Sour also is available uh, in cans and uh, that's a hugely growing part of our
0: business. I'm of the age where I um, I, I can't help feel a little bit sad um, about that, but at the same time I'm practical enough to realize that times change and uh, a whole generation of uh, younger drinkers um, have absolutely no stigma um, associated with cans yeah. that somebody that my age did.
1: Well I mean also everyone knows that the can uh, arguably is a better package for for the beer because it completely blocks out the light so you don't have any uh, you know uh, opportunity for the beer to become light struck and uh you know, cloudy mm. as a result. Uh, and uh, it's also arguably a better package for keeping out oxygen, and uh, which, you know, of course, degrades the beer. Mm. Uh, so a lot of the arguments that uh, we made years ago just haven't held up uh, for the, for the long term.
0: Gazing into the crystal ball, which is something that we didn't do four years ago, but we can sit back and look at all of the changes. What do you see? Uh, do you see any, uh, are we going to keep seeing new styles being thrown up? Are we going to see, uh, or are we going to see more con- consolidation and regression towards the mean? Are we going to sort of see businesses move back towards uh, a more consistent lineup?
1: No, I, th- I, think, I think two things. I, I think you're going to see the bigger craft breweries trying to figure out a way to uh, control their cost by collaborating with other craft breweries. So more combinations like Sam Adams and Dogfish and and Brooklyn and 21st Amendment and Funkworks. Um, So that's got to happen if we're going to be able to compete with ABI and Miller Coors, which, as you know, are investing heavily in craft uh, segment now. At the same time, I think there's going to be a period of incredible innovation uh, happening uh, like nothing we've, we've seen before. Uh, you know, you have many breweries uh, looking at developing uh, flavored malt beverages, kombucha products. Um, we actually just introduced an alcohol-free beer in uh, sweden uh at the beginning of this year uh, it's got a fantastic name which garrett oliver came up with it's called brooklyn special effects uh, <laughs> and
0: it's uh unlike uh, you you've caught up on the uh ha over uh brew dog over the weekend with their punk af um beer which is a their alcohol free beer. Maybe you've been traveling, no. but as always, Brewdog is uh, courted controversy, but we won't go into that here.
1: Yeah, that's their MO. <laughs> um, well, that alcohol free beer is doing fantastic in uh, Sweden. We just introduced it in the UK, and it's kind of revolutionary because it tastes good. Yep. I mean, most alcohol free beers uh, don't taste very good, and I think it's because. The alcohol-free beers produced by the big breweries—they're all trying to make a light lager beer, and uh, it just our beer is more flavorful. It's got more malt, it's got more hops, and it kind of masks the fact that there's no alcohol in it.
0: So, so what? Pro- there are a variety of processes available to, to brewers to do it. Have 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 you done the uh, um, vacuum distillation um, process to to remove the alcohol or? one of the yeast arresting techniques?
1: Actually, this is a new uh, technique uh, which was developed by our brewers, Mm -hmm. and it's an arrested uh, fermentation. So uh, it uh, basically does not produce alcohol. You stop it before the alcohol is produced.
0: But it still doesn't have the cloying, um, unfermented quality... It doesn't have the
1: cloying, mealy character that a lot of alcohol-free beers have.
0: I look forward to trying it. So why launch it in Scandinavia then, um, (laughs) as opposed to your own home market?
1: Because Europe, alcohol-free beers are a big part of the, the market. I think in Sweden... It's between five and ten percent mm-hmm. already, so there's great acceptance of alcohol-free beers because the uh, the limit for driving and drinking is much lower in Europe than it is in the U.S. But in the U.S., there are movements to reduce that uh, uh, blood alcohol limit. I think it's 0.08 percent now in the U.S. There are a lot of people who want to move it to 0.05. Which is uh, what it is in Australia. It is, yeah. yeah. And in some European countries, it's zero. Uh, yeah, I mean, or zero tolerance. So, I actually I think the biggest uh, market for alcohol-free beer is Spain, uh, where it's more than ten percent. So that's why we introduced it in uh, in Europe first. But. I'm thinking it's it's really going to have an influence uh, in the U.S.
0: That's it, it's it's one of the things we've recently seen the big brewers launch alcohol-free beers here, and there's been a lot of talk yeah, about Heineken. it. Yeah, um, and, and also AB InBev has launched to be here, but. We saw our drink-driving laws uh, come down from 0.08 to 0.05 in the 70s and 80s, and also that was coupled with uh, road safety campaigns and um, drink-driving soup where there was uh, roadside breath tests. Um, And so over that period, we saw a huge rise in what we call mid-strength or the 3.5% beers, which was one standard drink, so you could have one drink an hour and then still drive. Um, And so we've seen mid-strength beers grow to 20% of the market here, which makes me wonder whether there is a market for the alcohol-free beers because we've already got a culture around that mid-strength um, did, did you have any first... I know I've just thrown some uh, new thoughts at you there, but uh, did you have any thoughts about how different markets and their cultures would influence? Because uh, that, that's obviously why you launched in Scandinavia.
1: I didn't know about that dynamic here in uh, Australia, but I think the big knock of, of, uh, of alcohol-free beers is that clawing, uh, mealy <laughs> flavour that they don't seem to get away uh, be able to get around, mm. and I think uh, Brooklyn Special Effects does uh, deliver uh, a great-flavored beer that many people will mistake as uh, a, a straight beer. Uh, so I think it's—I think it's going to be—it's it, interesting. It even—it—it it can have a kind of placebo effect. Like every now and then, when I come home from work, I'll have one of those, and. Uh, you know, still it, feel it, the same relaxation. I have my beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's in- interesting, uh, and I think, particularly for young people in the U.S., uh, you know, they're very much uh, concerned with health and, and wellness, and that that's the big issue these days uh, in in the U.S. Many young people are drinking, you know, far less beer and and far less everything. Um, Cannabis uh, is also a big uh, uh, trend in the U.S. now. I think there are, there are like 12 or 15 states that have legalized uh, marijuana. Uh, and that's something we're also looking at. Um, we're, we are developing a partnership with a Canadian company called Flower. Uh, and, and it's possible we'll be developing some beverages uh, to deliver, you know, CBDs and maybe THC mm-hmm. sometime in the future. That's going to be part of that wave of innovation I'm talking about. Uh. It's,
0: again, did you think of any of this when you uh, when you gave up your life as a foreign correspondent and uh, <laughs> decided to open a brewery?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of, uh, you know, selling real beer and... Uh, uh, developing uh, brands that uh, uh, display the rainbow of beer styles, uh, historic beer styles, was uh, was our focus. But it, I guess having turned people onto that, it's not surprising uh, that people want more.
0: You know, and I, I guess you need to innovate or die, or um, change or die.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's really the message. Uh, you know, and the growth I I described to you about how more than half. Uh, the beer sold in America now is either Im- imported beer or, or craft beer, which is, to say, beer with flavor. Mm. And uh, we got to keep uh, keep developing uh, new beverages uh, of all kinds, I think, to keep people uh, interested in, in uh, our business.
0: Just one last question before I let you go. Uh, you, you can't give us any scoops that we're going to see Brooklyn FX... Um, launched over here are there any plans to do that or
1: well we got to get it launched in the u.s okay uh, first but uh, i yeah i think that brand is going to be a, a big part of our future i'm very excited about that we're also uh, developing a sour alcohol free beer and an ipa alcohol free beer wow uh, okay IPA. so uh i we we think that segment is going to be big so
0: it's, watch this space Yes. Well, Steve but, Hindi, I could literally talk to you for at least another hour, but I know you've got a uh, – we, we, we are in Melbourne for Good Beer Week and you've got a, a bunch of people who are eagerly waiting to hear from you. So I uh, thank you very much and uh, hopefully it won't be another four years before we talk to you again.
1: Agreed, Matt. Thank you.
0: And that was Steve Hindi. You can go back and listen to our earlier chat here and be amazed at just what has changed over the past four years. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the Letter of the Week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover, because beer is a conversation.